Welcome to the Chalkboard, my fellow football nerds, for episode number 124 of Chalk Talk. I'm your host, Shane Half, and you can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. I'm joined today by the best co-host in the game. You've heard him on the Tough Cover Radio Show. It is Mark Henry Jr. Give him a follow on Twitter at MarkHenryJr. Underscore. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Something I, I've got a funny, you know, off the top here. Something that I hate, and I think I've talked to you about this before. Something I hate what that podcasts do all the time. And some of my favorite podcasts do it. They'll complain about how long their episodes are and be like, oh, we, we got to get out of here earlier today. And we're, we're going to go a little faster today. Uh, and Around the NFL is a podcast I love. They do it all the time. Like they talk about how long it is and how one of the people want to get out early today. I, I, I got a little bit of a hard out. We're going rapid fire. We, instead of a two minute drill, I'm going to call this the one hour drill. Let's try to, let's try to hit the one hour drill. The one hour drill. I like it. All right. Well, without any further ado, then let's dive in. We'll start as we always do with the Eagles game on Monday night football against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, the Eagles become the third team in the NFL to secure a 3-0 and record. Uh, and they did it despite not looking sharp in the red zone. Mark, they had four trips inside the Tampa Bay 25 in the first half, but walked away with only six points. Uh, ultimately, though, the Eagles running game wins out again. DeAndre Swift ran for 130 yards on 16 carries uh, through three games, or really two games because he barely played week one. He has a success rate of 67% on rushes, which would rank first by a mile last season. Uh, last year, the top running back was Josh Jacobs with a 47%. Again, DeAndre Swift is at 67%. Even if you include quarterbacks, he's still top of the list. Josh Allen had the best in the league last year at 62%. And this was against a run defense featuring Vita Vea, a team that stacked the box, Runs base 3-4 among the highest rates of the league, and the Eagles just demolished them on the ground. That's my big takeaway. If you can run like that on the Bucks, you can probably run on everybody. Yeah, that's exactly what I have here. And, you know, I, I have bigger picture takeaways and, you know, concerns, positive takeaways, and uh, we can get into all of that. But it all has to start with DeAndre Swift. And the thing that I think is interesting about DeAndre Swift right now is he's doing – he's bearing out the, the quote, don't pay running backs argument because the Eagles were able to go out and find someone that another team didn't want anymore. And they were able to give up uh, a very low asset for him and pay him very little money. And guess what you're getting at this point, all pro production through two games that he's been used. But on the other end, the, the anti paying running backs argument would tell you in this Eagles offense with Jalen Hurts as such a threat to run and with such a good offensive line that most running backs should do about the same, right? Like you throw Kenny Gainwell out there for 14 carries and you throw DeAndre Swift out there, I think it was 17 or whatever it was in this game, should be about the same. Like it shouldn't be a massive gap. Well, that's not the case. It, it was a massive gap and it's not just something that you see in the stat sheet. It's something that you see on tape. It's something that you see. It jumps off the screen. The guy looks like he's shot out of a cannon when he gets the ball. There's no, I, I don't know if I've seen a running back since Shady on the Eagles that is as fast as soon as they get the ball to get to the line of scrimmage and to get past it. 
He just he just hits the hole really hard. And I know that there was people like Theo Ash and people out there who were DeAndre Swift haters that talked about his vision and talked about his lack of patience. I'm not seeing any of that. I I think he looks fantastic. There's a lot of uh, this is a fantasy thing, but there's a lot of people in the fantasy community that are nervous to to admit that they were wrong that to draft DeAndre Swift so low. And they're nervous to admit that DeAndre Swift going forward should be treated like a top 10 fantasy running back for the rest of the year. And that's how he should be treated. There's people saying like, oh, I I don't know. He's probably right fringe top 20 for me. This guy is going to be a force as long as he's healthy, in in my opinion, in this offense, in this situation. I, I think what he did against the defense that was fourth coming into the game and run defense, allowing 53 rushing yards per game is incredible. And I think the most incredible part about it is what I said. You have Kenny Gainwell, 14 carries for 43 yards with three yards per carry. And you have DeAndre Swift with 16 carries for 130 yards and 8.1 yards per carry. It's just a massive, massive difference. And the Eagles need to continue using DeAndre Swift to the best of his abilities and finding ways to get the ball in his hands. Yeah, absolutely. And and then on the flip side of the ball, uh, the Eagles defense, I, I've been impressed with defensive coordinator Sean Desai. Yeah. Uh, throughout the first two games, I was glad they finally had it paid off for a box score watcher uh, because they played fantastic. Um, only gave up 174 yards. 75 of those was Tampa Bay's last drive to go score a touchdown. And I guess it's not technically garbage drive or garbage time because it was the start of the fourth, fourth quarter, but when you can run nine and a half minutes off the clock and not give the ball back, I guess the fourth quarter is garbage time. If you've got a two score lead and uh, Jalen Carter finishes with the team high five pressures on only 16 pass rushes. Uh, he is tied for second in the NFL among defensive tackles and total pressures with 15. Uh, Jordan Davis uh, did a really good job in the run game. Zach Cunningham and Nicholas Morrow are playing well. Uh, the Eagles defense is really coming together. Yeah, I mean, you you talk about things. Obviously, everyone pointed to health last year as a huge reason why the Eagles were successful and they were very healthy. And you have not been so far. I mean, you've lost multiple pieces on defense and you've lost even more in this game. And we'll see what that impact is going forward. But the, there's a lot of injuries so far. And the defense, given all those injuries, to step up and do what they've done in the, you know with fill-ins in that game against an offense that was doing a lot better over the first two weeks in Tampa Bay. Um, And and yeah, they, they really dominated Jalen Carter is obviously the takeaway. I mean, what, what an absolute beast, what an absolute steal by Howie Roseman. And I tweeted it out during the game and, you know, it seems like depending on what rookie doesn't look good on a weekly basis, it's going to become the, they drafted this guy over Jalen (laughs) Carter and that's fine and good. We can talk about Tyree Wilson. We can talk about um, the Bears trading out. We can talk about any number of decisions that were made. The Atlanta Falcons. And I get it. I had people in my mentions all angry at me. I tweeted it out after the, the forced fumble. The Atlanta Falcons selected a running back over Jalen Carter. Just think about that. Like in the modern NFL what we've seen from Jalen Carter as an interior pass rusher, which has been proven out to be one of the most valuable things that you can have in the NFL. And you drafted a position that nobody wants to pay. Best case scenario, Bijan has like a Saquon 
like four years and you don't want to pay him in four years and you give him a one year, you know, it's just not a sustainable organizational decision to draft B. John Robinson over Jalen Carter. I don't care how good he is. He could be the best running back in the league this year. And I think it would have been a stupid pick. And I think it's the dumbest pick. Actually, that's a good question, Shane. What do you think the dumbest pick was that Jalen Carter got passed up for? Ooh, um, I, hold on. I got I got to pull up the list of picks to look down at again real fast. Let's see. So, okay, Bryce Young, number one. Uh, yeah, I'm not Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud. That's good. Will Anderson, Anthony Richardson, Devon Witherspoon, because he's been the, really, really good. Like yeah. if you look at how good he's been, it's hard. I wanted to kind of say the same thing because they needed interior pressure. They need pressure in general in Seattle. Yeah. But if you look at, if you just search Devon Witherspoon on Twitter and you look at the PFF grades and you look at the passer rating allowed and his numbers, he's been so good. Yeah. I would say, I mean, he's turned out good. Uh, the, the Seahawks definitely could have used him. Tyree Wilson, Bajon yeah. Robinson, really seven, eight, and nine. Tyree Wilson, Bajon Robinson, and then the Bears trading back a spot for a fourth round pick. Uh, all three of those stand out as really egregious so far. Yeah, I mean, you were a lot higher on Wilson and Witherspoon than Bijan, I think, right? I mean, I know you had Bijan ranked highly, though, in your prospect rankings, but in terms of where you would have drafted him, I don't think you would have drafted Bijan. What's the earliest you would have drafted Bijan? Uh, I had him at 14 on my board. Okay. All right. So, And I would have taken him there in the teens. I would not. I mean, if Jalen Carter is not on the board, I wouldn't be upset if the Eagles took him at 10. But the Eagles have the luxury of having what they had. But really, you know, I think early early teens, I think, is as early as I would have taken Bijan. Yeah, I got the other guy you asked about. Uh, over Wilson and Witherspoon, but yeah, I, I definitely, I got sidetracked here with the Bijan conversation, but the emphasis is that, I mean, Jalen Carter is the modern day Warren Sapp where it's just going to be, people are going to look back and they're not even going to understand how it's possible that this many teams passed on this absolute, you know, phenom who we all knew it in college too. Like, and I understand the off the field stuff. And then there's now the report that, Jalen and his agent called and convinced Howie to take him on draft night. Okay. Uh, that's all I'll say about that. I'll just smells, smells like a story to me, but I'll yeah. just, I'll move past that. But yeah, Jalen Carter looks incredible. Jordan Davis, because Jalen Carter is next to him and absolutely causing havoc. I think it allows him to just eat anyone that's going to run the ball in any vicinity of the Eagles defense, which is why I was so confident Rashad White's under on running yards in this game. Yeah. I think you can, that might be a safe bet going forward to, to bet the under on whatever running back that the Eagles are playing run, rushing yards. Um, because I mean, this rushing defense is going to be for real. And one more thing on the defensive line, Josh sweat is the most under talked about stud in the NFL at any position. I, I truly believe that, um, I, I, you know, all the, all the talk is going to be about the new guys and Jalen Carter and Jordan Davis and even Nolan Smith, whenever he gets in. And then all the talk is going to focus on Fletcher Cox and Brandon Graham because they were the Super Bowl champions. They're part of the core for all that stuff. Josh Sweat gets left out of that because he's kind of an in-betweener. He's not like an Eagles legend, but he's also not a rookie and one of the Georgia Bulldogs. So I, sometimes I think he kind of falls between the cracks and he shouldn't because at times He's the best player out of all of them. I mean, Jalen Carter is the best player out of all of them, to be quite honest right now. But I think Sweat's second. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, Sweat's Sweat's really good, and he's not getting sack numbers yet, but he's yeah. definitely being very disruptive. Uh, we've got Patrick on Facebook says, "What's up, <laughs> fellas? Thanks for joining the show, Patrick." And he asked Mark that you would never shave your beard again. So. I, I wish, I wish. Uh, yeah, I, I probably should get to a point where I, I let it grow out and then I trim it. But I just like letting it grow out until I look like a lumberjack and then getting rid of it and shocking everybody. I like it. It's like a wrestling, a wrestling thing. I show up with a new, with a new look. It's like CM Punk. My, he comes with that. Mine, mine will be up. trimmed up by next podcast. No, so. I like it. Let it go, Ryan Fitzpatrick over there. Yeah, you could, yeah, you, you gotta, you could do the, uh, what's the outfit he wore when he was dressing like Deshaun Jackson? That could be your Halloween costume. There you go. I, I like, like that. All right. Uh, let's roll on to the Thursday night football game where we oh, have been... oh, two, two more things. Sidney okay. Brown made a really nice play in this game um, yeah. when he broke up that Mike Evans play. I thought that was one of my favorite pl- plays of the game, just to point out. He did leave banged up, right? Yeah, actually, that was his last play. He, I think it was yeah. a thigh injury. So do, is there anything on that that we know of? Like, is was it serious? Not that I heard. Or? Uh, I, I was going to make an all 22 video of his snaps because he's my guy. Yeah, uh, he had 12 snaps that play, which is an underthrown ball. It would have been a touchdown if it was on target, but yeah. he made a nice play to break it up. And then he had one good play and run defense where he crossed mm-hmm. like the face of the wide receiver and funneled it inside. Outside of that, the ball never went his way. So I didn't make a video, but the yeah. two plays where he was involved, I thought he looked good. Yeah. Blank and chip, obviously a good game. But the last thing I'll say is Nicholas Morrow looks like a, a revelation to be quite honest. Like I don't care when Nicobe comes back and Cunningham's been fine too, but mm-hmm. when Nicobe comes back, I think Morrow has to play. Like I think Agreed. you're going to have to figure it out. He looks great. Yeah. I, I with trepidation said that the linebackers looked a lot better without mm-hmm. Dean in week two. I will say emphatically now the linebackers look better without Nicobe Dean and that may be settling in. Yeah. Maybe Nicobe would have settled in too, but Nicholas Morrow's looked really good. I totally agree. Okay, on to Monday night, or not Monday night, on to Thursday night football. Uh, we had the oh. New York Giants traveling to the 49ers. They get blasted 30-12. Uh, to 12. Uh, Brandon Ayuk was ruled out in this game, but Debo Samuel got going, had 129 yards and a touchdown. Kittle had seven receptions for 90 yards. He also had a huge pass breakup on, a first, on the first drive of the game when Brock Purdy tried to toss an interception. Uh, the Giants' offense came up short again. Only 150 yards gained on the night. Uh, Nick Bosa entered the game with a five-sack, sa- or excuse me, a five-game sack drought, uh, including zero sacks in the three playoff games last year and the first two games of the year this year. But he picked up a sack and a tackled for loss. Uh, I thought Purdy looked bad in this game. Three of eight on the first drive. He almost threw two picks. Um, but the 49ers' offense carries whatever. And, uh, Christian McCaffrey scored a touchdown in this game. It was the 12th time in a row, the 12th game in a row. He scored a touchdown, which actually ties Jerry Rice for the 49ers longest ever streak. So he could break that, uh, next week if he can put another one in the end zone. Yeah. The giants, I mean, obviously this is 30, 12 game. It looks like a blowout. I mean, the giants were down five points halfway through the third quarter with the ball at one point and they were driving. So, I mean, yeah, the the 49ers figured it out after that two field goals and another touchdown at the, at the end of the game. But I didn't walk away from this game. Like, Oh my God, the 49ers are dominant in the same way that I did um, with, especially week one against Pittsburgh. 
Um, yeah. Honestly, they won by seven against the Rams. I was more impressed by that Rams game than I was by this Giants game, funny enough. But, yeah. Yeah, it feels like they've definitely taken a step back since week one. But a win's a win. And so yeah. they're they're the second team that we'll talk about that is 3-0. and uh, And they're 3-0 and and pretty healthy as well. Yeah, I mean, the two best teams in the NFL, uh, or the NFC, I mean, are very clearly the San Francisco 49ers and Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, yeah, it's not like the national media propped up some other NFC team that was 2-0 and for the last two weeks to be on par with those two, right? Like, yeah, not that not that I heard. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, those yeah. two teams are the class of the NFC. Yeah, we'll we'll get to that other team <laughs> here in a moment. But before we do, let's go to Baltimore, where the Indianapolis Colts uh, took the Baltimore Ravens to overtime and they win the game. Uh, Mark, if I told you a kicker in this game, yeah, or a kicker won this game, you would assume it was Justin Tucker. Uh, but Justin Tucker, and it's a tribute to how good he is that I was shocked when he missed a 61-yarder to win it at the end of regulation. But it was Matt Gay who won the game in overtime, hitting a 53-yard field goal. It was his fourth field goal of the day from over 50 or 53-plus. He's the first kicker to ever do that in one game, four field goals over 50 yards. Uh, Baltimore opened up this game with a 12-play, 80-yard touchdown drive. Their next three drives ended poorly with fumbles by Lamar, Kenyon Drake, and then a botched snap that led to a punt. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the Ravens offense just never got going. Like I thought Lamar was the Ravens offense in this one. He picked up yeah. 15 of their 20 first downs, uh, either with his arm or his legs. Uh, this was his second career game with 200 or more passing yards, 100 or more rushing yards, and two rushing touchdowns. And no other player's ever done that. So Lamar was good. The rest of the offense around him just didn't do it. Yeah, they're going to need to figure out running back. And I know that that's not like something people care about, but you know, Melvin Gordon and Gus Edwards isn't good enough. It's not explosive enough at all. Uh, Justice Hill was out for this game. Maybe that'll help a little bit, but I don't think he's anything special either. I, I would love to see them go and try to figure out a running back. I mean, at this point, J.K. Dobbins, you can consider that a lost cause at this point like i don't think you can expect him to come back again so if you're baltimore why not look into a jonathan taylor trade Uh, it's funny that this is colts ravens but i don't think that they were a team that was mentioned a lot in that kind of conversation i kind of like it i i kind of like the idea of them making a trade for jonathan taylor you're a contender your picks aren't quite as valuable as some of the other teams i still view them as a contender after this game um, this isn't a game that I walk away like, oh my God, there's all these problems in Baltimore. Like, like you said, the Colts kicker made four plus 50 yard field goal or four 50 plus yard field goals. Um, the Ravens couldn't run the ball at all. I, I think Lamar played great in this game. Um, it, it seems like it was just a weird one. They, they took a bunch of sacks. The, the O-line was really bad. That's a concern. I think Linderbaum and another one of the O-linemen are out right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Colts, yeah, Matt Gay won the game. And my last thing on the game is just that Michael Pittman, I'm starting to think, is a guy who hasn't gotten enough credit throughout his career. Um, you, you look at the last two years. In 2021, he had 88 catches for 1,082 yards and six touchdowns with Carson Wentz. Last year, he had 99 catches for 925 yards and four touchdowns with the corpse of Matt Ryan, Sam Ellinger, and Nick Foles. Throwing him the ball. I mean, that's pretty impressive to go 99 catches for 925 with that group of guys throwing you the ball. And then now he's had three games 
uh, you know, eight catches for 97 yards in week one with, with Richardson. Week two was a mix of Richardson and Minshew, eight catches for 56 yards. This week, nine catches for 77 yards. He had a touchdown in week one. I think Michael Pittman, we give a lot of credit to guys like Terry McLaurin for putting up, you know, okay numbers in a bad situation with bad QBs. I don't think anyone's ever done that for Michael Pittman. I, I think he might be underrated. Yeah, and, and you also have, back to your Jonathan Taylor thing, you've got the Colts running back, Zach Moss, gets 30 carries for 122 yards in this one, uh, plus 30 yards over expectation. Maybe it makes Jonathan Taylor a guy in the last year of his deal anyways. Maybe that makes him expendable. Uh, maybe you go get him for a second-round pick. I don't know, something. Uh, I, I would love to see Taylor in Baltimore. I think that would be a lot of fun. Or if you're indie, you're two and one. Maybe you're like, hey, maybe the Zach Moss thing probably won't work long term. <laughs> Let's true. make sure we get Jonathan Taylor back since we're two and one. We probably thought we'd stink uh, while he sat out. I don't know. The Jonathan Taylor thing's really interesting. And it feels like no one's talking about it. Yeah. And now the main team that wanted him, they look pretty good at running back. Like Miami has most of their A chain that looked pretty darn good, which we'll talk about. But um, I, I don't think they're a destination that makes any sense anymore. So I think you got to look elsewhere if you're indie. Yeah. All right. Let's go now to Cleveland where the Tennessee Titans lost uh, 27 to three. Ugh. This is a crazy snap, Mark. Cleveland faced their first defensive snap in the red season in the red zone this season. And it was because of a turnover. And they only face one play because they moved the offense backwards out of the red zone. Just crazy. Uh, Derrick Henry finished with only 20 yards rushing. Ryan Tannehill was sacked five times, including three and a half by Miles Garrett. Deshaun Watson put up his best passer rating since week 16 of the 2020 season, uh, despite a hilarious backwards throw out of sack fumble uh, that I tweeted out. But uh, this is crazy. The, the three best single game defensive performances in success rate this season are the Browns in week one, the Browns in week three, and the Browns in week two. Three best performances of the year. Their they're 491 yards allowed through three games is the least by any NFL team this century. Uh, the Browns defense is for real. I know they've played the Titans and they played an injured Joe Burrow in the rain, but it's impressive nonetheless. Yeah. I, I think it's, I think my takeaway is that the Browns defense is really good, but I don't think this is for real. Like, I don't think they're this good. Um, and, and a lot of people are going to point to Deshaun. The defense is definitely good though. They're a top five defense or how, whatever you want to say. A lot of people are going to point to Deshaun Watson in this game. And he went 27 for 33 and he had 289 yards. I'll tell you what, the six incompletions were ugly. <laughs> and he had one of the worst plays in NFL history when he, he threw the ball 15 yards backwards for no reason to his running back. Um, the stats might have looked good. He did. He played a little better. I thought he was given a lot of opportunities to play better, and a lot of those completions were pretty easy gimmies. Um, I, I don't think this offense is a functional offense. I know that they scored 27. Um, you look at their running game. They had 31 carries for 78 yards. Um, overall, so a two and a half yard carry. Their longest carry of the day was 10 yards by Deshaun Watson. Um, and this is a game they won 27 3. So I, I just don't think it's sustainable. I think we do have to have a conversation about maybe Tennessee's terrible, um, which is concerning because they beat the Chargers in week two. Um, but mm -hmm. in the in the two games that they've lost, Tennessee has looked dreadful on offense. I, I mean, Ryan Tannehill in week one 
he he had he had 16 for 34 198 yards with three ugly interceptions i don't know if that is as bad as going 13 for 25 for 104 yards no picks but i mean that's uncompetitive to to put up that stat line in a game where derrick henry also rushes for 20 yards on 11 carries like i I, the focus will be on the browns defense i i think the titans might have an ugly season ahead but you know famous last words with the titans yeah okay on to detroit where the atlanta falcons lost 20 to 6 brian branch was the story of this game 11 tackles three tackles for loss two pass breakups it is absurd that Brian Branch fell in the draft. Like, nickel corner is arguably the most important non-pass rusher position on a defense, and he's playing that at an elite level this year. Uh, for Atlanta, I mean, Desmond Ritter is not a good quarterback. Um, if they would have played him last year, they might have figured that out and maybe got a quarterback this year instead of another running back. But that's a conversation we've done to death. Atlanta had negative 0.75 yards before contact per rush attempt, which is the worst in the post-Matt Ryan era for uh, Arthur Smith. And so the Falcons' run game wasn't working. Their pass game will never work. And then their kicker is missing a field goal. They only converted 4 of 14 on third down. Uh, The division they play in means they still have a chance, but the Falcons aren't a serious football team with Desmond Ritter at quarterback. No, and I think they're going to London uh, for a get-right game with Jacksonville. I I think Jacksonville gets right in that game and and takes care of Atlanta in a game where Atlanta just isn't going to be able to throw to exploit Jacksonville's weaknesses. Um, And and I think that's the the cut and dry of that one. But the Lions, we spent a lot of time killing their draft. It, they had a big day. The GM must have had a, a field day watching this game. Jameer Gibbs, I mean, not not anything special from Jameer Gibbs. They actually didn't get him involved in the passing game as much as they did the first two weeks. But 17 carries for 80 yards. You had Sam Laporta, who looks like a legitimate, legitimate tight end. And they're by far number two option in the passing game right now. Um, eight catches for 84 yards and a touchdown. You had Brian Branch, as you mentioned, who's the main takeaway, I think, overall from the game. You also had Jack Campbell get a sack and, and look good elsewhere. So Lions draft, you know, I was not a fan. I'm not always right. Uh, it looks like they maybe, you know, it, it, the value, we can sit and talk about the value all we want the funny part about it and we said this on draft night if you shuffled it around and had them take brian branch at 12 or 13 and then gibbs at the next pick and then campbell the pick after that we probably would have felt a little bit differently about it which that's stupid but that's how it works generally so um the branch pick is fantastic though and we all said that at the time um even while killing the other picks yeah absolutely Uh, okay on to green bay where the saints Lost to the Packers, blew a 17-0 lead, lose 18-17. to uh, I've seen a lot of the fault get placed on Jameis Winston for mm-hmm. this, it, somewhat. I mean, he, not really, though. I mean, he threw for – he was c- comparable to Derek Carr. It was really the Packers' offense figuring out the defense. Yes. I, I thought they adjusted. They started to make plays. They did a good job of picking up pressure. They started going empty a lot. Uh and then sliding to the protect or to the pressure side in their protections. They had gains of 30, 17, 11, and 30 yards in the second half out of empty. Uh, 
And then the thing nobody's talking about, really, that I've heard, the Packers score to cut the lead to seven if they kick the extra point, but instead they go for two, which is analytically the right thing to do. Uh, if, if you don't get it, you score and go for two again for the tie, and the odds yeah. of getting at least one works. But if you get it, then you get a chance to kick an extra point to win the game, which is exactly what happened. I have not heard people talking about that, even though it was what the numbers say you should do. Nearly as much as I've heard people talking about the Chargers going for it on fourth down, which is also what the numbers say you can do. Funny we'll how that argue, works. We'll argue about that one, but I'm with you on the other one. Yeah, a great call. Uh, I mentioned Jameis Winston, Derek Carr injured in the third. Winston, he struggled early, that's fair, but uh, he did lead him into a, a field goal drive and they missed the field goal. Uh, so uh, the Packers squeak one out. I was so mad. The Packers were one-point favorites in this game. And I almost took the money line and I was like, I, I can't lose. Like if they win, there's no difference. The only difference is if they win by one point and then that's what they did. I was so mad. So I pushed that one. But uh, the other thing for the Packers is Rashawn Gary only played 23 snaps as he works back from an ACL injury. But in those 23 snaps, he had three sacks. So getting him back and getting him right would be huge for this Packers defense. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because the same thing happened to me with the Packers two weeks ago. I took the Packers' money line against the – a little bit opposite, but I took the Packers' money line against the Falcons, and it ended up being plus two, and they lost by one. Um, so I, I lost on that one. But the Packers, this was a bet I had um, all week. I, I was all over the Packers' money line, and they went ahead and looked like the worst team in football in the first <laughs> half of this game. The first half, oh, my Lord, their offense looked terrible. Um, it looked as bad as any offense you'll see in a half this year in football. It looked that bad. The Saints, people are going to blame Jameis. They got the Brian Johnson up by a lot of points playbook um, once Green Bay was down 17-0 and Derek Carr was out of the game. I think the, the Saints were afraid of Jameis like, throwing their lead away. So instead, they just conserved, you know, conservatively threw the lead away by not trying anything. Um, and then when they tried something, like you said, Jameis led them down the field um, at, at the end of the game to what should have been a game-winning field goal. Um, so I'm excited for the revenge game as long as Derek Carr's out. I think he'll probably won't play this week. But if Jameis Winston is the quarterback this week, the New Orleans Saints are playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So I'm a big fan of that revenge game uh, possibility there. But, yeah, you're right. I, I don't think it was on Jameis. The Saints couldn't run the ball in this game, 22 carries for 77 yards. Um, but they get Alvin Kamara back this week. So that's the big – that's kind of the big factor. How big of an X factor is Alvin Kamara for the Saints? And on the Packers' side, we're going to find out a lot about the Packers on Thursday Night Football against the Lions. Yeah. Okay, on to Jacksonville for one of the more surprising results of the week as Houston beats the Jaguars 37-17. to And I felt like the – the Jaguars just picked up where they left off last week with just miscues. Calvin Ridley drops a touchdown. Uh, Tim Jones can't get his feet in bounds on a third down, and then there's a missed field goal. The next drive, Calvin Ridley drops another one, and then a field goal is blocked a few plays later. Like They have a fourth and two conversion, but a hands-to-the-face takes it away. They've got a Jamal Agnew fumble. Uh, they gave up a touchdown return on a kickoff to a fullback after he fumbles it and picks it back up. Like, it was just a comedy of errors for the Jaguars. Uh, this was a Houston team missing four of their five starting offensive linemen. And the Jaguars got zero sacks and only four hits. 
CJ Stroud was sacked 11 times in the first two weeks, zero times against Jacksonville, a team that spent the number one overall pick last year on Trevon Walker, who, I mean, he's got to be one of the worst number one overall picks in recent history at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, we knew that at the time. Yeah, we did, and that's that's fair. That was just a total waste. I will say this, uh, Bajon Robinson, Jameer Gibbs, better first-round picks, better values than what Jacksonville did at number one, taking Trevon Walker, a guy who had no clue how to rush the passer. He just runs fast. But uh, anyways, on the Texans' side, C.J. Stroud, he's it, man. He's the first player in NFL history with 900 passing yards, four touchdowns, and no picks in his first three starts. He looks legit, throwing to not a lot out there. Uh, I think the Texans – I mean, obviously the quarterbacks, Bryce Young's looked shaky with a bad situation. Anthony Richardson's looked good, but he's been banged up. But, like, the quarterbacks, I think they all look pretty good this year so far, but none more so than C.J. Stroud. Oh, absolutely not. Stroud's looked incredible. I mean, he looks like a top 15 quarterback right away. Like he looks like he's on like the Kirk Cousins level of competent already. Um, and that's not a great situation. Mine it without throwing to Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison and TJ Hawkinson, I might add. Exactly. No, you're exactly right. That's what I was about to say. Like, this situation's not good. Like CJ, Bryce Young's in a terrible, awful situation, but Stroud is not in a good one. So what he's doing is incredibly impressive. This was a little bit of a fluky win for Houston. Jacksonville outgained them by a ton. Um, they had seven more first downs. I think the time of possession might have even been towards Jacksonville. Um, but just mistakes and, and weird things that I, I think you look at the luck rankings that people talk about, and Jacksonville's been pretty unlucky in the last two games um, with red zone trips and fumbles and turnovers and turnover luck and things like that. I, I think that bounces out. And, and this is not a game that concerns me. Jacksonville got blown out by a much worse Houston team last year and went on a very similar run. Um, and the other loss that they have is the Kansas City. So I think they're going to figure out their problems. I'm not worried about Jacksonville and some of the anti Trevor Lawrence stuff that, that I'm, that, that I'm starting to see is crazy. People are saying like, Oh, he's overrated. He actually wasn't even ever that good. And whatever. I, I don't know. Go watch the game. Yeah. I can tell you what the problem is in Jacksonville. His name's press Taylor. Press Taylor. And yeah. he was the problem in Philadelphia that got Doug Peterson fired there. And if Doug Peterson's not careful, press Taylor is going to get him fired again. I think he probably would have a, another year after this, right? Oh yeah, I'm not saying this year, but yeah, maybe. I'm, yeah. I'm saying I'm saying your offense continues to be bad this year, and you walk into an owners' meeting and say, "I want to keep Press Taylor as my play caller again." Uh, that might put you on a hot seat, which is exactly yeah. what happened in Philadelphia. Yeah, no, you're exactly right, and I don't, you know, I think Doug hopefully will take back control and call plays at some point. Um, I, at a certain point, I do think that the talent will win out there on the yeah. offense, especially. Doug's too good of a play caller to not be calling plays, in my opinion. I totally and, and agree. A, and I'm a big fan of head coaches not calling plays. Doug's too good at it to not call his own plays. Especially when the offensive coordinator looks like he stinks at it. Yeah. Okay, on to Miami, which this was – Man, Sean Payton Rain is off to a bad start as the Broncos drop to 0 and 3, losing 70 to 20 in Miami. Uh, just a total beatdown. Tua had a time to throw of 2.16 seconds, zero QB hits on the day. Uh, Devon A. Chain had 203 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. He also had two receiving touchdowns. 
Uh, the Dolphins are the, I'm just going to rattle off all the records here, but the <laughs> Dolphins are the only team in league history to put up 70 points and 700 yards in a game. They're the first team with 350 plus passing and 350 plus rushing yards in the same game. Uh, they have the best single season success rate on offense since 2012. They rank first in EPA per play dating back to when the league went to 32 teams. Through three weeks, the Dolphins are on pace to break the NFL scoring record by 131 points. That's insane. They're on on pace to break the yardage record by 1,882 yards. And that's for the game that they weren't that incredible in in week two against the Patriots. They only scored 24. Yeah, that's and so I said these stats, and people are like, well, yeah, but you're including a 70 point game. He's like, yeah, but we're also including a Patriots game that wasn't that exceptional. Like this offense, what Mike McDaniel is doing with this offense is incredible. Uh, he's a genius, and I, I, man, I do not want to watch them play the Eagles <laughs> in a few weeks. Hopefully, we figure them out by then. But man, this vi- th- this Dolphins offense is so much fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's the ticking time bomb with Tua. You're just hoping he can stay healthy because if he can, this offense has the potential to be historic. Um, if you keep a 2.16 second time to throw, I don't. It's going to be hard to hit you that fast. Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. And they have a big test this week against Buffalo, a team that they've really struggled against. Um, not just in the McDaniel era, not just in the Tua era, but the whole Josh Allen era, like they've really struggled against Buffalo. Um, Buffalo has really torn them up. So that is something to watch for in this game. But yeah, I mean, this was comical. Like we, this was, this was a game we had taken off. We have, I, we've got Sunday ticket here. So we have all the TVs going. This was a game we had taken off the TVs. We put it back on up 36 to see if they could get 70 and they did. And you said Mike McDaniel's a genius, obviously he is for the play calling reasons and everything like that. He also might be a social genius for the fact that this dude's getting credit and getting good karma for putting up 70. Like he's like, yo, what a nice guy. He only put up 70. It's incredible. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. The Sean Payton era is not off to a great start in Denver. How about that interview? At, what's the question? What's the question? And it's like, all right, like you just lost seventy to twenty, brother. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know if I would have had much of a different response to be honest, but yeah. <laughs> How does it feel to get seventy points put on you? Next question. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess there isn't much you can say. Next game at Minnesota, we've got the Los Angeles Chargers and the Minnesota Vikings. The Chargers win 28 to 24. Uh, We might as well lead off with the decision. The Chargers went for it on fourth and one from their own 24 with a minute 51 remaining. Uh, They did not convert on a fullback dive to their backup running back. Stupid play call. Now I'll argue it's the right decision to go for it. The models bear it out. It's like a 6% win probability swing because you're up by four. The yardage isn't terribly important. If you punt it and pin them deep, you're going to sort of play soft coverage anyways. Uh, but handing the ball to your backup running back on a fullback dive is just a stupid play call. Like Either QB sneak it with Justin Herbert or put him in the shotgun and empty and just let him diagnose. He can get a one-yard completion. and uh, It didn't work out. I thought it was a dumb play call. How much time was left? A minute 51. 
they didn't have any timeouts. So that ended up becoming the issue anyway. Like they ran out of time from the 25 or wherever it was that they, that they did that. That is the sticking point for me. And I actually feel like what happened bared out what the call should have been, which should have been a punt. And I'm as aggressive as anyone. Like I'm generally in line with all the computer models. I'm generally in line with everything like that. There are some times that I do think that the models are a little too aggressive and don't take in context of the game, which is that Kirk Cousins struggles in these situations. And if they're if there's a minute 51, they don't have a timeout and you're up four points, they have to get a time, they have to get a touchdown. You're gonna play soft coverage, but that's gonna eat up the amount of time, especially if you play sidelines a bit and, and you make them stay in bounds. That's gonna eat up so much time that it's gonna force so much time to get them down the field. That game was way, in my opinion, if they messed that up and lost that game, Brandon Staley should have been fired on the spot. And I understand that maybe it was the right call analytically, but the decisions that have went wrong for Staley there and the fact that last week he wasn't going for it on fourth and one and a half on the opponent's 45, and then this week he's going for that on his own 24, there's no consistency with Brandon Staley on when he wants to be the internet darling and when he wants to be, uh, you know, conservative defensive coach. I think that's my problem. And that is the problem because I stand firmly behind it being the right call to go there. The problem is any one risk taken in isolation can backfire and lose you a game. If you are consistently being aggressive, you will come out on top over the long haul. And so – not being aggressive and then just doing it this one time. That's a bad approach. If you're going to just, if you're going to be a coward, just be a coward. Uh, But if you're going to be aggressive, be aggressive. And so I think you go there. I I don't bat an eye. If the Eagles do that, I don't bat an eye. If anybody does that, I do. If you call a fullback dive, but um, it's gotta be your, you gotta do it consistently. I, I don't think Nick would do that by the way. I don't either. I mean, he, he punted it in the super bowl. Yeah. That's much worse, but yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. Uh, so, of course, the Vikings get the ball back. They get to a first and goal from the six, and then Cousins threw an interception on a tip drill to end the game. Uh, the Vikings blitzed Justin Herbert on 82% of his dropbacks in this game. Uh, he averaged a 2.26 time to throw, which is the first game under 2.4 in his career, and he had a plus 16% completion percentage over expectation. He was incredible in this game, Justin Herbert. He was absolutely incredible. But I will just say, if Kirk Cousins doesn't diarrhea all over himself, the Chargers are 0-3. Right? Right, yeah. So, like, that that's the one thing I'll say. We can give Justin Herbert all the flowers in the world. And believe me, he got him. We, we, we don't have to worry about if Justin Herbert got credit for that game. Believe me, he did. Just go, just log in. Um, but, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, he was incredible. I watched every snap of this game. He was incredible. Somehow they only scored 28 points and somehow, Mm. and I actually felt like their defense didn't play that bad in this game. Like I actually felt like they kept their passing game in check really well in this game. But if, if Kirk cousins doesn't mess up at the end of the game, they win the game. Like there was more opportunities there for the chargers. Probably that's probably more on the running game of the chargers. They they can't seem to get going. Um, But it, it is funny. Like I just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, the, the Chargers are second in EPA per drive behind Miami. 
Uh, Herbert is second in EPA per drop back. In this game, he was 40 of 47, which is 85% completion, which is the highest for any quarterback with over 45 passes in league history. Uh, Keenan Allen set a franchise record with 18 receptions for 215 yards. Unfortunately, uh, Mike Williams went down with an injury and he is out for the year with an ACL. So uh, yeah, it's the, Chargers are, the Chargers often, Justin Herbert is playing too well to need Kirk Cousins to throw an interception in the end zone to get out of a game with a win. Uh, yeah. they've they've still got to they've still got to figure it out, but they are at least one and two, whereas the Vikings are zero and three, and their season's pretty much over. All right, yeah, I don't have much to say on this game outside of the. the I feel like the decision is the game. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's go to uh, New Jersey, where the New York Jets lost to the New England Patriots, fifteen to ten. I don't have much to say on this game because the New York Jets don't matter as a football team until they get serious about getting a starting quarterback. That's not Zach Wilson. Like there's literally six free agents. You could go sign right now that are better than Zach Wilson. And so uh, they did. I don't, I don't have much to talk about with them. New England doubled up the Jets in yardage. They did have trouble getting points on the board. The Jets have a good defense that they're wasting, but uh, they were in Jets territory on seven possessions, but only put up 13 offensive points. So who did they sign? Was it Simeon? Trevor Simeon. They should start him on Sunday night. Just throw him out there. See, it can't be worse. Like, why, no, why it not? It can't be worse. It, Trevor Simeon, they should. Carson Wentz, Matt Ryan. I don't care. Anybody's better than what they've got right now. Yeah. The only thing I'll say is I think there's a chance we look up in. I want to see their schedule. So what I'm saying doesn't sound crazy. I think there's a chance we look up in a month or two and it's like, wait a second. How are the new England Patriots eight and six or like, how are they, you know, six and five? Like, I, I think there's a lot of people who kind of wrote them off after the first two weeks, they played the Eagles and the dolphins and mm -hmm. they kept the dolphins at 24 points. They're like, a good football team. I think. Yeah, I think so too. Like, I, and I actually don't think Mac Jones has been all that terrible. Like he's got limitations very clearly. Um, but I actually feel like he's been better than better than you can usually expect from him. He just hasn't finished drives, um, which is going to be their problem in general. It seems like it seems like it's been their problem since Brady left. Uh, but yeah, I, I think the Patriots. I actually really, really think they're a sleepy, sleepy underdog this week against the against the Cowboys. All right, let's go to Washington, where <laughs> the Buffalo Bills just blew out the Commanders, thirty-seven to three. Sam Howell was pressured on 69% of his dropbacks, which is the highest rate in the next-gen stats era. He was sacked nine times, intercepted four mm -hmm. times. Uh, that's all you need to know about Washington. For Buffalo, Josh Allen avoided pressure well. He didn't take a sack. He threw for 218 yards and a touchdown. He did have a pick. He also had a touchdown run. But the Buffalo running game is the thing here. They've struggled with it for years. They put up 122 rushing yards on non-QB runs, including a 98-yard performance by James Cook. If the Bills can have a running game, and this is a good Washington front, if they can develop a running game, it's going to pay off dividends in January. Yeah, I mean, insert my speech about the Bills from last week into this week. I I think they're a Super Bowl contender. I think they're the, if I was doing power rankings, I'd probably put them fourth right now behind the Chiefs, Eagles, and 49ers. Like, I think they're the best – or no, fifth, behind the Dolphins as well. So, behind the uh, undefeated teams and the Chiefs, I think they're the best team in, in football. Um, 
So I guess that's a lot of that's a lot of disclaimers there. But I think they're right with those teams. So I think this defense looks every bit as legit as it needs to. I think the running game looks like a new added role and wrinkle into this offense that we haven't had in the Josh Allen era. And I think Josh Allen is becoming underappreciated uh, in a way that I could have ever never really imagined because you know Josh Allen has a great game and no one cares at, at this point. But when he has a bad game. It's the number one topic um, in sports. So just a weird, uh, just a weird thing I've noticed with Josh Allen. But uh, yeah, my, actually I talked about the, I did, I talked about the bills. I didn't even mention the commanders. Anyone who tried to talk about like, Oh, the commanders two and oh, they're frisky. They're going to be around. They're a good football team. No, they're not. They're not. They're not a good football team. They can't block. They played two, uh, you know, cupcakes. They got down 21 to three to a team that just gave up 70 points. And I understand they won the game. They were losing twenty-one to three to that team. So yeah, I think the I think the Commanders stink. And I haven't said this yet about the Eagles this year. I think the Eagles lay the hammer on Sunday. Yeah. All right, let's go to Arizona for the biggest surprise of the week, as the Arizona Cardinals beat the Dallas Cowboys twenty-eight to sixteen. Are we on the Are we on the apology tour here? No, 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 no. Uh, uh, not yet. Arizona jumped out to a 15 to three lead. Okay. And I I'm watching the game thinking, well, they they've played well in the first half. They're going to give this back up. Dallas is going to get things together. And that didn't happen. Like Dallas could not put the ball in the end zone. They had a first down on the 11 yard line, the 10 yard line, the 11 yard line and a five yard line on the last four drives. And they scored six total points, <laughs> failed to convert a fourth and three, Dak throws a pick that I don't know what he was looking at to seal the game. Now, granted, Dallas is down 3-0 line starters. They accumulated 13 total penalties, which is a great way to go on the road and lose a game you should win. Uh, But Arizona this week had the second highest EPA per play in the league. This This wasn't just Dak playing badly. This was the entire defense playing badly. Arizona jumped all over at 51% rushing success rate, 7.4 yards per carry. How do you stop a great pass rush? You run at it. And that's exactly what Arizona did to the tune of 222 rushing yards. And that's the most rushing yards Arizona has totaled in a game since week six of the 2020 season, when they also beat, you guessed it, the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, this was unbelievable. Um, the, the, the Cowboys, uh, I was starting to feel stupid after two weeks being like, man, I can't believe I didn't buy in. Like, I can't believe I thought this team was fraudulent. I can't believe I thought this team was being overrated. I feel good about it now again. So I, I, I think this team was, is definitely fraudulent. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, the Cardinals, you said that you didn't buy in on this game. Um, and you thought that the Cowboys were just going to come back. There was something early on in this game. Like once the Cardinals went up 10 points, I was like, I don't know if they're going to win the game, but this is going down to the wire. Like the Cowboys aren't just going to come back and blow them out. Um, I, you could tell just the way that the Cardinals were playing. And I think that what you have to point at is the fact that Jonathan Gannon has prepared for the Cowboys four times in the last two years. And he hasn't done a good job in Philadelphia. Yeah, he finally found something that worked. But he figured he seemed to figure something out there. Um, I, I do think that they they definitely benefited from that. And I think Jonathan Gannon deserves a lot of apologies 
from Eagles fans. Uh, I think. No, he doesn't. I think he absolutely no, he does. doesn't. Look, look what Kurt, look what Dak Prescott did to the Eagles in two games last year. If he if he wants Eagles fans to like him, he could put together a decent game plan for the Eagles. Well, he can't go back and do that right now. So I'm saying, ever I think that the hatred for the the Cardinals and Gannon that we did all off season, I think it was lame. I've talked about it on the show before. <laughs> I, I think that I, I get it. Like I, I get not loving him. I get not liking him or rooting for him, but I, I just think some of the hatred has gone too far. And I think beating the Cowboys is enough for me. Uh, I getting the cat. That could be the difference between the division could be the difference between home field and the NFC is Jonathan Gannon taking care of the Cowboys for us. I, I just say, hey, I just want to, I will. If this, if this happens where we tie the Cowboys and have the tiebreaker, or we finish a game in front of the Cowboys, I'll be there in in January to remind people that you can thank Jonathan Cannon. <laughs> you, you hear that, Mark? Listen. <laughs> That's the sound of the Cowboys losing their September Super Bowl. Yeah. Let's yeah. listen to it one more time. <laughs> there it went. Great. That's great. All right, let's move on to the game I accidentally skipped uh, in my notes here. It is the Carolina Panthers at the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle won this game 37 to 27. Uh, this was the Kenneth Walker show. He rushed for 97 yards and two touchdowns, added 59 receiving yards. Uh, Bryce Young was out. So this game kind of lost some of its luster, but Andy Dalton threw the ball 58 times, uh, trying to get like five games worth of passes in and one before Bryce Young comes back. Uh, he did, he completed as twice as many passes of 10 plus air yards with eight uh, as Bryce Young did in weeks one and two combined where he only completed four. So, uh, I mean, Andy Dalton brings competency. Uh, you don't have that rookie learning curve. I don't think it's a statement on Bryce Young, but uh, the thing for me, eight false starts by Carolina, that that's unforgivable. Like that can't be happening. I don't care who's, I don't care if you got a different quarterback back there. You can't be false starting eight times in an NFL game. Yeah. I, I don't have much on this game. I was not locked in on this game, but you know, there's two teams uh, and we'll get to the other one, but there was two teams that I was really high on in the off season that looked so bad in week one that I was questioning myself. Uh, and the Seahawks were one of them. Here they are at two and one while missing their two offensive tackles. And you mentioned Kenneth Walker, who's cementing himself as a top three, top five fantasy running back the rest of the way. The, the highlight of the week in the NFL for me was Zach Charbonnet sending some dude into orbit. I mean, just an absolute. I mean, if they still had jacked up, he, that, that would have been jacked up. So, yeah, I, uh, I, the, the Seahawks. Looking pretty good. Yeah. Okay. Uh, on to Kansas City, where the Chiefs just obliterated the Bears. 41 to 10. It could have been worse. Uh, Mark, when, when the Bears hired a defensive coordinator as a head coach to develop their franchise quarterback, I was skeptical. I said, I probably wouldn't do that. I'd go get an offensive guy. But what I did expect was for him to at least develop a competent defense. Everflus came in last year. They spent all their draft picks on defensive players who stink. This defense stinks. Like the Bears got to get rid of Everflus. They got a clean house. Uh, it's just awful. And, and the other thing in this game, Justin Fields takes a shot in this game and he is dazed on the field. 
he's taken off the field and then he returned in a blowout that cannot happen we did the whole Tua thing last year taking the hit coming back in playing the next week and then he gets the concussion that i don't even want to see the clip again this can't happen there's no excuse for justin fields to come back into that game after he took that shot um I just I don't even know what to say about it. That's that just massive amounts of incompetence incompetency by everybody on the Bears sideline. Uh, my bad. I uh, yeah, I absolutely the, the Bears. I don't want I don't have anything on this game. All I have is let's talk about Taylor Swift. I mean, <laughs> you, you, I were you actually did I see a tweet from you that was not what did I see a tweet from you about this? No, I doubt it. I thought there was a negative, there was an anti-Taylor Swift tweet from you. No, dude, that was like some of, I, I had those CDs in my truck as a kid. You're a big Tay Swift guy? I was, yeah. I, I don't right, really, all listen, right. I don't really yeah, listen same, to music same. a lot anymore, but like growing up, it was country music and I loved Taylor Swift. So my, I got, I have all the CDs somewhere. My fiance is a huge Taylor Swift guy. And it, it is, by the way, just an absolute genius decision by Travis Kelsey to get involved in this. I don't care how it ends. I don't care if there's a bad <laughs> song about him. You see his jersey sales were up 400. percent Girls yeah, are gonna be girls are gonna I be wearing Travis say, Kelsey every I can't every wait concert. to hear the song that she writes about him in a year or so. Yeah, the, I, the one podcast was trying to trying to um, trying to figure out the name of it, like incomplete. Um, yeah, fumble, fumbled <laughs> love. Uh, who knows? I don't know. I, out of I, bounds. Out of bounds. Yeah. Uh, ineligible. Uh, I don't know. I, there's a lot of there's a lot of things you could do. Uh, but yeah, it's it's hilarious. I, I there's who cares about the game? By the way, I, I, here's what I have to say about the game. It has nothing to do with the Chiefs. Are you aware of who the Bears play this week? No. They play the Denver Broncos. Oh, I did. I did know that. That's going to be the worst game in history of the NFL. I mean, yeah. that's that's so dreadfully bad. It, it is absolutely unforgivable. I might refuse to talk about that game on next week's podcast on principle. Might be the game of the week. I, I could see that end up being like 38-35 and actually. Like, <laughs> Two to zero. Yeah, or that. It could go either way, I feel like. Or it could be that the Broncos win by like 40 and the Bears are that bad. But yeah. I, the, what do you think the spread is of that game, by the way? Little whose line is it anyway? Uh, where's it at? It's in Chicago. In Chicago, the spread uh, says a lot. By the way, is what I'll. That's my hint. Denver minus four and a half. You're really close. It's three and a half. It's Denver minus three and a half. I would have guessed it closer to a pick'em. It actually makes me kind of want to take Denver. That that's how bad Vegas thinks <laughs> Chicago is. But yeah, it's that game is just an abomination. Yeah, a uh, couple things on the Chiefs. I guess I'll say. Uh, Jawan Taylor was flagged five times in this game for the second week in a row. Uh, right tackle might be a problem for the Chiefs. This is a funny storyline. Did you see Andy going nuts about this, how they replaced him for a drive? And people thought they benched him. But what they were doing was they replaced him and they put the same guy lined up in the same spot that Taylor lines up and they didn't call it. So the Chiefs are pissed off and Andy's pissed off. And that's some 3D chess. Like, I'll give Andy credit. Like, they sent that to the league office. Apparently, Taylor has been the only O-lineman that's been penalized for it. And yeah. they, they've tried to, to scratch down on this. And they think it's because Collinsworth went nuts about it on opening night that the yeah. NFL has cracked down on it. 
uh, he, but they haven't done it he's 100 percent lining up too deep but like you have to call it for everyone he just needs to well yeah but he just needs to do what receivers do you look to the official on that side and get the thumbs up like just do that before every snap it shouldn't be rocket science yeah, that's a good point. Well, Terry McLaurin did that, and the guy screwed him. You remember that? That is true. I do that's remember legendary. talking about that. Oh, that, my God. Yeah. That, that ref was a fit, a definitely betting on games. Yeah, that ref should be in prison. So, uh, only other moat, uh, Patrick Mahomes is the fastest player to reach 25,000 career passing yards. Uh, he's the fastest guy to do it since at least 1970. It only took him 83 games. Do you know who is in second place? Any guesses? Who is it? Matthew Stafford took him 90 games. So uh, Patrick Mahomes did it seven games faster than Matthew Stafford did. Wow. That's so you said seven, you said seven games and Matthew Stafford was the fastest previous. Yes. Stafford did it in 90. Mahomes did it in 83. That's insane. Yeah. I mean, Mahomes is the greatest quarterback of all time. And I, I, in my opinion, and I'm a LeBron James guy, he is the greatest player at any sport that I've ever seen in my lifetime. All right. On to Las Vegas, where the Pittsburgh Steelers won 23-18. to 18. Uh, Mark, did you know TJ Watt's a good football player? He is a great football player. I mean, the last two games watching TJ Watt has just been like, oh, my God. I mean, this guy is so by far the best non-quarterback in the NFL, in my opinion. I, I really do think he's like a level above Parsons and Bosa and whoever you want to throw at me. I, I really do think he's a level above those guys in the way that he impacts every snap. Yeah, he two sacks in this game. He's got six on the year. He had six pressures, forced a turnover, all that despite Cam Hayward being out. Uh, the Steelers intercepted Jimmy Garoppolo three times, and suddenly the Steelers are 2-1 and one after that awful start in week one um their offense is still a concern uh, they started slow on the third possession though kenny pickett hits calvin austin on a 72 yard touchdown uh, for the raiders Devonte adams had 13 catches for 172 yards and two touchdowns and then you got josh mcdaniels his moronic decision to kick a field goal on fourth and four from the eight yard line with 225 left like it turns out it's easier to score a touchdown from the eight yard line than it is to kick a field goal, force a three and out, and then score a touchdown with no timeout, 75 yards from the end zone. <laughs> and I guess you just have to make that mistake once to learn. And so I'm sure Josh McDaniels won't make that mistake again. Pull the, you, you never want to go full the floor when, when it comes to, when it comes to being down eight and kicking a field goal. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it feels like I'm actually surprised the Raiders got back in this game. The Steelers got up by a certain amount and it was like, Oh, okay, this is, this is over. The Steelers are back on track. And then the Raiders, I, I will give them credit that they fought back um, to, to get back into the game. Um, but yeah, my main takeaway Steelers, same as the Seahawks. I loved them all off season. They looked so bad in week one. Here they are two and one. There are their issues. Sure. But kind of like I always said all along, you're guaranteed eight wins, nine wins if you have TJ Watt. He's that impactful on defense. You just have to figure out the other stuff around it. Yeah. Okay, on to our last game of the slate. On Monday Night Football, the doubleheader taking place while the Eagles game was going on. Uh, it was the Los Angeles Rams at the Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, Cincinnati gets their first win of the season, 19-16. to 16. Another week, another rough performance from the Cincy offense, who was one of seven on third downs in the first half. 
Uh, they only managed to put up six points, failing to put up points after an interception in Rams territory that their defense got for them. Uh, but they're able to get up, and then you get Sean McVay doing his best Josh McDaniels impersonation. Down 10 with six minutes left, he punts on a fourth and five. It's a two-possession game with six minutes left. What makes it even worse is that they forced a three and out and scored a touchdown to cut it to three, but it came down to an onside kick. Now I ask you, Mark, do you think you have a better chance to convert a fourth and five or or recover an onside kick? Yeah, it's without a doubt fourth and five. What's the percentage on onside kicks? Uh, It's really low since they changed the... It's like low teens, I want to say. Might be lower. I'll try to look it up. Uh, I'll try to look it up, but I know it's really low. Uh, So, okay. Uh, Probability that a kicking team recovers the onside kick is uh, 30%, but that's before the change. Uh, It's dropped to... Okay, this is an article from 2019, but it's at at that in 2019, uh, it had dropped to 6%. Yeah, that makes sense. So, yeah, it's like 6% chance you're going to recover the onside kick. A lot better chance you're going to convert a fourth and five. All, uh, I don't have much on this game. Um, Cincinnati's defense is really good. Lou Anarumo should have been a head coach, and I think he will be. Um, Six but, sacks on the day for the Cincy defense. Absolutely. They're like, they do a little bit of the Eagles stuff where they've really built in the trenches low-key. Um, if you look at their their draft picks, a lot of them have been on the defensive line, or at least on the – at least on the defensive side of the ball, they believe in the defensive line um, in the same way that Howie does. Uh, and that's definitely paying off. But the last thing I'll say, Matthew Stafford, we we all rushed to crown him after two weeks and talk about how incredible he is and how great it is to have him back. He was terrible in this game. Yeah, they're, they're, they're first, you know, Miles Murphy, DJ Turner, Jordan Battle, first three rounds this year. Last year, Dax Hill, Cam Taylor, Britt, Zach Carter, uh, all defensive picks on day one and two. And even if you look at their other defensive linemen, they've invested a lot um, at, at those positions. Yeah. Uh, the other, the last note I've got on this game is Joe Burr recorded his second game of the year with a sub 60 quarterback rating. Uh, do you know how many games he had under a 60 QB rating prior to this season? One, zero. Wow, I'm surprised because he had like a four pick game against Chicago. Yeah, yeah. So Joe Burrow, obviously hampered by the calf injury, the the Bengals are going to try to ride a defense and stay alive until he gets back healthy. But we'll see if it'll work out. So, all right, that is going to do it for our slate this week. Almost an hour, Mark. Congratulations. For our final thoughts, I'm going to lead us off uh, with my weekly canceling of a team. Last week, we canceled the Chargers, who promptly won a game. But that's okay. I don't care. As long as Brandon Staley's the coach, they stay canceled. Um, This week, uh, I hate to do it, but I got to cancel the Chicago Bears. Uh, Big Justin Fields guy, this team is unwatchable. Uh, It's untenable. This is another team that needs to clean out their front office and their coaching staff. Pools needs to go. Everflus needs to go. Everybody's got to go. Uh, and unfortunately for Justin Fields, Justin Fields is probably going to go too uh, because you just don't get that latitude in a total rebuild. But the Chicago Bears are the least interesting thing to watch on Sundays. They are canceled. That's I my decide- final thought. I decided my final thought is going to be my top five early leans of the week for NFL games for next week. 
So Jalen Hurts touchdown, you can just write that as one every week. Number one. As long as as long as Vegas keeps making it allowed to be bet. Jags number two, minus three uh, against the Falcons. We talked about that earlier on the pod. Eagles minus eight versus the Commanders. We talked about that earlier on the pod. Patriots plus seven versus the Cowboys. I kind of mentioned that. I think they're sleepy. I think they could win that game, let alone cover the seven. By the way, what a brutal schedule for the Patriots to start out. You get the Eagles, Dolphins, and Cowboys as three of your first four games. And it could have been Aaron Rodgers last week, too. So just a brutal start to the schedule for for the Patriots. And then my last one, I'm between two here. So I will go – I'll go Seahawks. I'll go Seahawks plus one and a half at New York on Monday Night Football. I almost took Baltimore, but I'll go Seattle there. Those are my five early leans of the week. All right. There you have it. Guys, thank you for joining us for episode number 124 of Chalk Talk. Uh, If you enjoy what you heard on the show, and we know that you do, be sure you smash that subscribe button. Turn on notifications so you don't miss our next episode. Uh, If you're listening on podcasting platforms, please drop us a five-star rating and review wherever you stream your podcasts. Uh, You can follow me on Twitter and YouTube at ShaneHalfNFL. You can follow Mark on Twitter at MarkHenryJr. We will catch you guys next time.